Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone. This is Michael Anthony Ingram. Welcome to the program. Tonight, my very special guest is acclaimed poet and spoken word artist, Jerry T. Johnson. Jerry is on his way, so what we'll do is listen to some music. Can you hear me? I can hear you, yes. <laughs> all right. I can hear all you, right. sir. All right, all right. Okay. Cool, cool. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm, gl- I'm glad that you're with me. I am glad, too. I am glad, too. Let me turn my speaker on so I can hear myself talk, too, if you don't mind. Um, give me just okay. one second. I don't know why the first setup didn't work the way I thought That's it would. Okay. But you're here now. That's, That's the most important thing. Yes. All right. All right. All right well, let me excellent. ask you a question. Hold on. All right. All right. Uh, all right. Great. All right. We're good. Okay. Good. Fantastic. What is poetry, Jerry? Poetry. To me, poetry is the art of words expressed and applied using creative skill, knowledge, wisdom, experience, and imagination. Um, uh, also, I look at poetry as a sort of phenomenon where we uh, express something new and something valuable. 
uh, comes from our thoughts, our imagination, our um, and, and our experience. All right. This is a slightly different question. Why do you feel it's important in the world today? We need poetry the same as we need music and song. Mm. It elevates our mood, elevates our thoughts, elevates our emotion. You know, just like uh, art is important, just like art in its physical forms are, is important, uh, poetry is important to us as well. Otherwise, we'd be mere um, robots running around mechanical in our behavior with no depth of mind, no laughter, no tears, no feeling in our day-to-day. All right, very nice. Please share a poem. All right, let's do, first of all, I want to thank you, uh, Dr. Graham, for inviting me to your program. And uh, and I want to thank everybody who uh, joined to listen in. First poem I want to do is Wintry Blues. And this is after Maya Angelou. Autumn leaves falling, still, dry, brown, silent, stoic, as they await the wind, or worse, the leaf blowers. Soon they meld into earth, covered by friendly snowflake flakes, which paraglide from peaceful skies, gently landing, spreading into blankets. Autumn peacefully sleeps, only for a moment, though, her blanket soon disturbed by ice sent from angry blizzards. We weep during harsh winters. In corners we cringe on frigid days. We hang dark curtains, draping away the sight of frozen limbs. We dream of monsters. We awake at midnight, doused in sweat. Our saturation molds into icicles. We shiver. We look at our clocks, alarmed. We search for calendars, finding one. We scroll to spring. We long, we hope, we wait, we anticipate. But the time is now. We rise. Wow. I like that. I like that. Thank you. Very nice. Very nice. What are some of the predominant themes in your work? Some of the predominant themes in my work are most actually social content. Social content pretty much appears um, in 90% of the things that I write. And when I say social content, there's two, you could break it down into two sub-themes. One is uh, social conditions, and the other is related to social scenes. And I'll give an example. For social condition, I wrote a piece, although I should not have to. That pertains strictly to problems with race and the racial issue that we have in the U.S. Another piece that I describe as a social scene took place on a train. You know, I wrote a piece called Quantico that was published by one magazine. And I was sitting in the train, and I saw a scene, a scenario with people, and I wrote a piece based upon that social scene that I looked at. It's interesting. Please share another poem. Train. My train slowly rolls into 30th Street Station. The afternoon transitions towards a shade of dusk. Philly skyline glistens in the wash of a departing sun. I stare at glass buildings whose panes 
Shimmer. I'm wearing those headphones which cover your ear, black, sleek, and cheap, the $10.99 kind. Listening to Miles, Pharaoh's dance, I'm dazed by shimmering, and the trumpet joins the bass and the alto sax on stage. The electricity of a piano flows like a river, melancholy and melodious. My train stops, and the drums push the band towards crescendo. I pause my song to bid new friends earlier made farewell. They depart. I press play. The crescendo starts to climb. All aboard, we leave, and we find night has taken the help. The crescendo climbs. The stars overcome the darkness. I overcome the darkness, my grief, the darkness, my soul, and my train moves on and on, and my train moves on and on. Now, is that an example of a social scene poem? That's an example of a social scene poem. And actually, I was sitting on the train, and I actually saw the sunset upon the skyscrapers of Philadelphia. And I was on, yeah, Mm. yeah, that's an example of a social scene. Oh, very nice. Now, in general, Thank you. how does a poem begin for you? With an idea, a form, or an image? Sometimes it begins with an idea. Uh, for example, um, I, I, there was a prompt for this magazine, um, Here Comes Everyone, and the prompt was, um, or the theme was toys and magazine, um, toys and games. And I thought about the idea of toys and game, and I wrote toys and games, and I wrote a poem called The Cold War Games, and that poem was accepted by that publisher. Sometimes it is an image. I wrote a poem that was published by Straylight Magazine. The title of that poem was uh, Winter Continues. That image, I was on the train going to work from Brewster, New York, to White Plains, and the train actually rolled through a tunnel of ice, snow, and uh, we passed by reservoirs with swan and geese um, just sitting out there on the ice. And I wrote, and I just picked up my pen and I wrote that piece. I wrote that piece in about 15 minutes right there on the train. And so that was based on the image. All right, very nice. What was an early experience? where you learned that poetic language had power? Early experience where poetic language had power. Hmm. I have to think about the first poem that I ever had published in 1992. And, okay. um, and I, uh, the title of that poem was I'd Be a Bad Dude. Um, <laughs> again, I had, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't even have, I don't even know where that poem is anymore. I've been trying to look for it and find it. It was published in Paris right. Magazine out of out of Atlanta, but I didn't pay that. You know, I sent that poem off with a bunch of other stuff to the magazine. But I wrote that poem in 15 minutes after after a argument with someone around respecting their elders, and uh, and I was still fuming with that person after the argument was long over I went home and I sat down and I just and I, I just picked the pen up and I just started writing. That was one of my first poems that I'd written. And in fifteen minutes I did one page. 
uh, I'd be a bad dude. I didn't think anything of it, and I sent it off to the magazine, a bunch of, along with a bunch of other pieces that I thought were great and fantastic. They immediately sent me a note, and they said, we want the poem, I want, I'd be a bad dude. And that's when I realized, I was like, wow, that emotion and that feeling that came, you know, I, I was, it, was, it was a controlled rage that just went from my heart to, to my pen, and I put it on page. And that's when I realized that, wow, the expression of poetry, you know, does have, uh, does have strength. And uh, so I remember that. I still haven't forgotten that. Uh, that was in 1992, and I still haven't forgotten that. Well, do you think that someone can be a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? Well, that's a great question. That is a great I think that uh, I think they can. There's two parts of us. There's the cerebral and there is the uh, emotional part of us. I think that you can get by with just a, with the cerebral only. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think you can't get by with that. Alright. Uh, please share one more poem before we take a break. We remember spring. Today we gaze upon aftermath. Aftermath nor'easter. Aftermath tornado. Aftermath earthquake. Aftermath hurricane, aftermath disease, aftermath political upheaval, aftermath conflict, aftermath war, aftermath upon aftermath more. And we see wreckage, the land a wreck, the people a wreck, damage, 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 more. We feel damned, mist levitates from polluted soil, the blood of Abel, the first murdered speaks, earth vomits. Choked on garbage, brooks and streams bleed, poison, trees bow and weep like willows, barks rot, bark rots, limbs scan of leaf wither. We long for winter's end. We dream of warmth. We remember spring. We long for a return of daffodils, applauding sunlight, red-breasted robins landing on sills. tapping beaks our windows, caterpillars scaling stalks and stems, bees hovering. Petals sipping nectar, morning dew basking upon tall strands of grass, songs canary, songs nightingales, swans, ducks, geese proudly flapping wings over rippling lakes, gentle thunder rumble, warm rain pouring, woodpeckers knocking on wood. We remember, we remember, we remember spring. We remember spring. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. Johnson. This is a call-in show. 
If you have a question for Jerry, please give us a call at 646-787-1631. And actually, Jerry, we have someone on the line who may have a okay. question for you. All, All right. Hold on one second. Caller, your number is 980, and the first three numbers are 228. You're on the air with Jerry. Hello? Hello? Yes. They hung up, Jerry. I guess they got afraid. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they'll call back. Maybe they'll call back. Maybe um, they'll call back. Okay. <laughs> all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours, and what makes them great in your eyes? Okay. Um Great question. Um, Langston Hughes, to start with, um, his poems like I Too, Life Ain't Been No Crystal Stair, A Dream Deferred, again, these uh, resonated with me. I write about social conditions, and Langston Hughes wrote a lot about social conditions, whether they be social scenes of life or whether they be um, themes related to our social conditions. Um, I, I've always um, he was the, one of the first poets that I really um, read, and I've always loved his writing, and he had great influence on me. I also like Emily Dickinson, William Blake, Nikki Giovanni. I love those poets as well. But not only have poets influenced me uh, in their writing, songwriters have influenced me a lot. Uh, Smokey Robinson. Um, Curtis Mayfield, uh, Sylvester Stewart, a.k.a. Sly Stone, um, they, their writing, uh, their lyrics and their songs really influenced me. Curtis Mayfield's uh, Little Child Running Wild, Fred is Dead, those songs speak to social conditions um, um, you know, in our day-to-day. Sly Stone wrote I'm, Every, um, I'm Everyday People, again, another song that speaks yes. To uh, social uh, condition, Smokey Robinson, "Tears of a uh, oh Boy," "Tears of a Clown." If thinking about that song uh, makes makes me want to cry. <laughs> and so, these writers, um, while while Langston was very influential, um, um, uh, the songwriters, those songwriters, those three particularly, uh, were very influential um, uh, to me. All right. Well, we have another caller. The All right. number is 646-591. You're on the air with Jerry. Good uh, evening. Hi, Je- uh, Jerry. This is Madeline Ortenberg. How are you? Madeline. Hi. Well, Madeline, it's so yeah, great to hear um, your voice. Dr. Dr. Ingram, yeah, we, are, we yes. perform at many of the same venues. What I wanted to right. push a little harder with Jerry was the wonderful question you asked about um, when poetry language had power. Where in your work did it have power? Because I, I know for me, I'll just give a, a little example. What I'm looking for is I have a poem where I'm uh, this man on the subway is touching me. And then when I protested, he made fun of me and said, this girl is crazy. But in my poem... I was able to turn that around and have a comeback 
And so the poem allows people to, you know, laugh at this person that was doing an awful thing. So that's kind of, I'm looking for examples like that, where your poem transcended what actually happened. Mm, that's a great um, that's a great example there, Madeline. I think <laughs> that the poem, the one of the poems that I love the most, uh, the Cold War Games. Uh, as, as you probably, and Madeline already knows, and um, and Michael, you don't know that I lived in Russia and worked in oh, Central Europe for all. Yeah, I worked in Central Europe for almost six years. And the poem, The Cold War Game, was the poem that really represented that power for me. Um, It basically, every time I think about the poem, um, and I don't even read it that much in public anymore, but I still think about it because it represents all of the heartache, all of the hardship. And I suffered a lot when I was overseas. Um, I went through a lot of stuff. I didn't. I didn't. It, it wasn't always caviar and bow ties for me over there. A lot of times it was boots on the ground, no hot water, no uh, no heat. Um, sometimes um, not being able to get a good meal. We had sometimes we'd have chicken in the morning, for uh, and that would be eggs, chicken for lunch, and chicken for dinner, seven days a week when we were on the road in those remote areas. The Cold War Games, when I wrote that piece, it represented, it's just a short piece, it's only one page long, uh, but it represented six years of hardship. And it's one piece that I look to uh, whenever I am going through hardship, even back in America. It's a piece that I think about a lot that gets me through the day to day. Will you share it with us? You're welcome. What was that, Michael? Will you share the poem with us? Let's see if I have it. Let's see if that I put it out here. I think I did pull it. Is it? Green. Hold on. A coldness. A cold war game. There it is. It was late October 1997 in Moscow. My tour of duty in Russia was winding down. My boss and I just finished dinner at a rest- restaurant positioned just four miles from the Kremlin. After dinner, we sipped vodka and talked about fast-moving sports cars. The car he owned was very sporty. It was a slick, silver American model. He left it at home in the USA because it was much too costly to bring it into Russia. It would take too much money to retrofit it to meet the requirements for vehicle operation, plus he was afraid to have it stolen. Stolen like many other fine Western cars owned by many other Westerners spending time building factories, refurbishing warehouses, furnishing distribution centers, buying delivery trucks, installing computers, configuring software, counting Russian rubles, counting Czech crowns, counting Polish zlotys, counting Hungarian forests. Wherever the former Soviet Union abode, there we were, with all our technical toys playing round after round of business roulette, deluded into thinking that the Cold War games were over. Very powerful. 
Thank you. Very powerful. As you think about being a poet and writing poems, what are some of the prevalent ingredients that go into this concoction that we call a poem? What what goes into it? Uh, Oh, wow, that's a good one. Uh, For me, um, ingredients that go in. Uh, Imagery. Imagery is the number one thing that goes that that that, uh, that goes into a piece for me. I imagine watching. Um, you know, I imagine sometimes when I write a poem, I think about painters who paint a scene of life. They basically this. They basically define a scene. You know, whether it be someone painting about children and parents in a lovely park where there are bridges and there are streams and there's a cloud sitting on blue sky. A painter captures all that. And for me, when I write a poem, the first thing I look for is imagery. Sometimes it could be a physical image, like a cloud in the sky or like, um, you know, like a river. Uh, sometimes it can be something that uh, something that's more of a um, something in the mind, like a feeling and an emotion uh, that you have. So imagery is the most important thing for me, most important um, ingredient for a poem. Uh, the other All thing right. is, uh, it's, yeah, uh, just to finish up on that one. Um, yes. Depthness of words. Uh, I study words. I, I go deep into origins of words a lot of times, and uh, I always keep a dictionary next to me um, and um, deep dive into the understanding of words and what they mean and where they come from. That's important. That's an important ingredient as well. All right. Please share another poem for us. Although I should not have to. Sometimes I'm wound tight like twisted twine made of bungee rope. Car like a rattler ready to spring, stretched taut by the finger of an archer, aimed to launch the lust of my overheated rage. Then I wind my temper down and I forgive my brother for the robbery, for the rape, for the theft, for the murder, for the slavery. Now with controlled disgust, I can explain why the N-word hurts, although I should not have to. I can explain why boy does not work although I should not have to. I can explain why monkey is not funny, although I should not have to. I can explain why your conscience is lost if you are still comfortable with these terms, although I should not have to. You know, you're my 128th guest, Jerry. And the following question is one. Yes, yes. The following question is one that I ask often. (laughs) Poets hail from all over the world. Where do you hail from? South Carolina, born and raised. Tell me more. I left South Carolina. Tell me more about South Carolina. I left left South Carolina in 1992, of course. That was the last time I lived there. But I was born in Greenville, South Carolina, and stayed in Greenville until I was 10. Then I moved to my family, moved me and the rest of my five brothers. To Columbia, South Carolina, where I stayed till I was 18. 
And then I did a tour with Uncle Sam for about four years, came back home and uh, went to school, worked in South Carolina for a little while. And then after that, um, I was discovered by a good friend of mine from New York who worked at uh, in corporate America out of a um, headquarters office in uh, New York. And he, he looked at my work. He actually saw a book of poems that I had on the desk that I that I self-published. And he read through them, and he loved it. And he looked at me, and he said, you ever thought about working in New York? And I said, I think about working in New York all the time. A week later, I was on the phone being interviewed by one of his managers. A few weeks after that, I was in New York being interviewed all day long. And then a couple of weeks after that, I had moved from South Carolina um, to uh, work uh, out of our office in New York. And uh, so that's – and I did that for two years. Uh, you know, I traveled all over the U.S. for two years. And then I got the nod to go on a six-month assignment in Warsaw, Poland. And that six-month assignment turned out to be a six-year assignment and I, cause I traveled all, because I traveled all over the world after that. So I hailed from South How? Carolina, but I have actually – been a person that I've actually lived in uh, across the globe. So you're truly a world citizen. Uh, In a sense, I am, yes. How does that affect your work? Poetry work? Yes. Poetry work? Great question. Your poetry work. My mentor who brought me up, my early mentor who brought me up, he actually told me, don't stop writing. He said, you know, I want you to come up here and do a good job as a project manager, but don't stop writing. And the first thing I did was stop. I stopped writing because I was so busy with project work. When I, went over, when I, when I moved overseas, sometimes the only television I could get was um, the parliamentary sessions, um, um, that, that took place in, out of London. And listening to the English language, the way it was spoken in those sessions and how those politicians could bark each other so well, I realized that, you know, when I start writing again, my, my writing will change just from that experience. That was one thing that, it, that affected uh, the way I write, the way I would write. The other thing that affected the way I would write was the uh, the hardships that I encountered. Learning how learning how important things like toilet paper and soap really work, especially the further east I went, the worse things became. And again, that experience did something to my thinking. There's something to the way uh, to the way I looked at life itself, to the way I looked at business, uh, to the way I looked at life. That whole ex- experience um, pretty much molded me into the writer that I am now. Right. Please share another poem, Jerry. Charlotte to New York. Train ride. Train stop Quantico. 
Quantico Creek looks so solid and so serious, just like the bureau grass right around the corner. It seems to stand still in the sunlight, wearing sunglasses and a conservative gray wool suit. I hit the repeat button on my music playlist, and Eric Burden and the, ba- and the band plays and sings. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm traveling on a train, New York bound from Charlotte, and I sit in the dining car observing my surroundings. Sorry about making you work on a Sunday, Frank, said the lady with the gold rim glasses. She was seated right next to the service counter, and she was on her phone, yapping away. I think the disaster recovery test was a disaster, Frank. We need to pull everybody into a meeting tomorrow and do a postmortem on this. She stopped to inhale, and then she continued. I don't care if it is Thanksgiving week. All hands on deck, Frank. Poor Frank, I think to myself. I moved my eyes to the service counter of the dining car. The dining car manager is taking the credit card of a patron. That will be $10.50, sir, she said, as she removed the cheeseburger from the microwave and plopped it in the cardboard carriage tray. After she slid the can of beer into the beverage slot, she turned to the register, swiped the man's credit card, turned back, laid the receipt on the counter, and gave the man a pen. Sign, please, she said, smiling. My attention then turns to a young lady holding her baby in her arms in front of her as she bounces up and down in a little dance. She sings, when you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. When you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. The little baby moves his hand a little, moves his little head around, lets out a little giggle, and then the little baby smiles. And the young lady sings, oh, yeah. And the dining car manager sings, oh, yeah. And the lady on the phone stops yapping to sing, oh, yeah. And Eric Burden and the band sings, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, your voice is very distinctive, very distinctive. What is the relationship between your, what is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? They're actually, hmm, speaking voice and my written voice are the same. I thought you actually sent that question ahead of time, and I thought about that one a long time. But they are the same. And I'll tell you, and this is why I say that. Here lately, over the past two months, writing is, you know, writing with pen is great. I love writing with pen on paper. It's therapeutic, right? Seeing it on page is great. Then I went to typing on the telephone. I got that from a friend of mine who I gave a ride. (laughs) A friend of mine, uh, you know, needed a ride to the airport, and I took him to the airport. And I saw him. He was actually writing a story, uh, an essay about guitarists, um, which would turn out to be a great essay. I actually read it later, but he was actually doing it on his phone. And I said to myself, I'll never do that. And then one one day when I was flying back home from a job site, I didn't have any paper. So I actually picked up my phone and I started typing on the phone and I never stopped. <laughs> two months ago, yeah, I know a lot of stuff I've written on the phone, but two months ago, and this is why I say my speaking voice and my written, the written and the speaking is the same. I started dictating using the you know still using the phone but turning the mic on and it took a little practice to get used to um how you know get get used to pausing and picking up and going again but i started doing work just by dictating 
right on the phone. And I got into it just the same as I did when I would write. And uh, so for me, there's no difference between the two. All right. You know, they say that to see the world with complete honesty, one should look to comedians, artists, and poets. What do you think emerges naturally from your work? Without thinking about it. Wow. Without thinking about it. Um, hmm. That's a, I mean, when I, I keep saying without thinking about it because sometimes humor, some pieces can be can, can have an element of humor to it. Not that I All right. started out to be funny. It just ended up that way. Um, and um, actually sharpness it would be the other thing that pretty much, without me thinking about it, sharpness comes out of my work. Um, Tell me more about sharpness. I, Tell me more about sharpness. I can critique a situation and be really scathing. The next poem I'll probably will do will be, will, be, will be an example of that. I'm looking at what I've got sitting up here next. The next poem is an example where I can be, you know, mildly scathing. Uh, the, the, the poem I should not have to. I, I was sort of, I mean, that, that honesty, that, 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 that ability to be scathing in my critique, that comes out in my poetry sometimes. All right. Well, share that poem. This poem, um, I to mourn. And this is after Langston Hughes. Liberty misunderstood. Liberty misrepresented. Liberty lied on, lied about. Wears a veil, dresses in sackcloth, spreads ash across her forehead, ashes across her landscapes torn. Liberty weeps beneath darkness. Liberty gazes upon terror once again. Liberty outraged once again. Liberty, overwhelmed, falls to the ground. Liberty rises, liberty stands. Liberty raises her torch. But does liberty raise her torch for all? Like Langston, I'm the darker brother, and I too sing America. And despite the fact that liberty in the harbor never welcomed me, alongside liberty, I too mourn. Wow. Extremely powerful. Thank you. Extremely powerful. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. back 
I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Jerry T. Johnson. Jerry, I have a question for you. Yes. All right. All poets have several words that come up over and over again, words or sentences that they just can't help but use in their work. What are three of your absolute favorite words to use? Hmm, I need to look at the poems that I wrote for that one. Hold on. I printed out uh, a list of my poems. Atrocity is one. Atrocity is one of the words that I um, that, that that has shown up um, several times. And I think about that, and let's see. Coldness is another. You'll see me reference coldness a lot. I think you saw uh, things related to coldness in winter. That mm. comes up a lot. The other is morning, and M-O-U-R-N, morning. Yes. M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, morning. Um that comes up a lot in my uh, in my poems. There seems to be a sadness <laughs> or the melancholiness uh, around a lot of things that I write, but those are the three things. Atrocities, coldness, mourning are probably the top three you know, I can think of right now. Well, it's funny. Those three words lead into my next question. So much okay. is happening in the in the world today. So much is happening. The good, bad, and indifferent. What do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? Oh, boy. Oh, man. <laughs> we, don't, we don't play. We don't play, uh, Jerry. <laughs> wow, you put me on the spot. <laughs> You've already um, answered this question many times. <laughs> the, the role of a poet, no, no, it's, it's a good one. It's a great question. The role of the poet is to be true to herself or himself and write poetry. Grow, learn, don't be afraid to take risks and write poetry. Regardless of what you, whether you write about social content, whether you write about daisies and flowers and geese, you know, um, you know, whether you write abstract stuff, whether you write form, the role of the poet is to be a poet and um, to grow and to write poetry and share that poetry with the world. That's the role of a poet. Everything else will fall in place, in my, in my opinion. Everything else will fall in place. But All you right. focus on well, focus on your content and share your content. Well, share some more of your content with another poem. Airplane ride at the end of a long day. I awake after a 30-minute nap. Tune still piping through my headphones. The flight attendants are approaching. One pulling, the other pushing that dreaded beverage cart. I move my knees out of the aisle. Would you care for something to drink, the grimacing attendant asked. It is a late flight, and she is doing her best to maintain composure through all the griping, non-complying. Black coffee, please, I reply. Long day for you, I ask. Yes, it has been. Thanks for asking. Her grimace changes to a smile. I sip the hot brew. I relax. I look around. 
I see that everybody's working their gadgets. The man across the aisle from me has his laptop open, up, and running. He toggles from viewing his calendar to writing emails. Suddenly, I feel like a corporate spy. I turn my head and look at someone else. The young lady seated seated across the aisle plays with a tablet wrapped in a pink furry cover. She taps and swipes away. I look around. Everyone is tapping and swiping away. I turn and I stare out the window as our silver Skyliner jets through the star-studded ebony night. An hour passes. The tapping, the swiping subsides. All the tablets, all the laptops shut. Fatigue rules. I peep out the window at purple cottony masses floating below. We plunge into the cloudy swirl. Seconds afterwards, lights appear. A booming voice bangs the intercom. Flight attendants prepare for landing. Incredible. Incredible. Thank you. Thank you. You know, some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it? Mm, depends upon the poem. Tell me more. Some poems, some poems that um, a train that I read earlier. Uh, I was in Philadelphia when I started. Um, and an hour and a half later, in Washington, D.C., I was done. No more needed. No more needed for that piece. Another poem I wrote, and this is a story about this poem, was um, I, I, I basically saw an image on television that disturbed me when I was at a hotel right outside Chicago. And I went downstairs, and the bartender, who's a good friend of mine now, he saw me come back downstairs. He said, oh, man, Jerry, he know, he knew that I was a writer. And he said, you're about to write something, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. So he poured me a glass of wine. He said, this is top shelf on me. And I wrote this piece, three pages of it, three pages I wrote this piece. It was three pages long. And I took one whole year editing that poem. And by the time... I finished. It went from three pages to one page. And, of course, the magazine picked it up and published it. And so it depends upon the poem. Sometimes, 15 minutes, I look at it, and I'm like, there's nothing else I can do with this. I'm done. Sometimes I'll work on a piece for months and up to a year. I think the longest I've taken with, one, with a piece has been one whole year. So it depends upon the poem. All right. For me. All right. You are a poet and spoken word artist. What does it mean to be a spoken word artist? When I say spoken word artist, basically it's just I'm I'm on stage or I'm reading live like I'm doing now. Um, now, the definition, you know, a lot of times people get into the performance uh, poetry mm-hmm. piece of it, and, and there is a certain element of performance poetry that I may do on stage, but it's not that animated. Um, now, a piece that I do on stage will definitely, it may, it, it'll, it'll turn out to be a little different than than the printed version. I may add a line. I may add a whole stanza. 
I may get rid of a whole stanza. And there's a lot more feeling and a lot more emotion involved when I'm on stage versus when you're reading something uh, on paper that I've written. So that's the difference for me. Please share another poem. It's 1938 again. It's 1938 again. Glass shatters. Shards scatter. Lives don't matter. State-sponsored murder sanction, and the constituents celebrate, and the constituents applaud. Toxic rallies continue. Hot coals are thrown into boiling. Pots of ignorant meltdown ignited, and the constituents celebrate, and the constituents applaud. The fallout spreads, and the fallout is out of control as ash and smoke hover like low-hanging clouds, hiding our eyes from daylight, tempting us with madness. The morning sonnet of the song thrush, the nighttime chirp of crickets, the glitter at dusk from fireflies are no longer only cries of children, cries of mother, mothers, cries of fathers and weeping walls. Blood runs in the street. Runs in rivers Blood drips, drips, drips In drains while mirth Reigns in chateaus Castles and towers tall And the constituents are happy And the constituents celebrate And the constituents applaud It's 1938 Again Does writing energize or exhaust you? Mm. Energizes me. Tell me more. Editing, editing, editing exhausts me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, I know that one. <laughs> editing exhausts me. The longer the piece, the more the editing. But writing, no, our writing just, just kind of it, it, uh, it pretty much turns. It just pretty much turns. It turns, brings me. It just wakes me up and keeps me going. And stuff, and um, so yeah, it, it energizes me. This question kind of is a, pretty much a follow-up to that particular one, I believe. Well, it's close enough. Writers and poets write for a myriad of reasons. Some write primarily to speak a message to their audience. Others write because to stay silent is not an option. Why do you write? Mm, great question. I have, I've always written for myself. I've okay. always kept journals. Before I wrote poetry, before I wrote for the public, I always wrote for myself. From the time I was a kid, and I had a pen, a pencil, a piece of paper, I would write for myself. And um, it's a therapeutic type of thing for me to get my emotions and my feelings on paper. And what's important for me is to go back and read, especially the personal journals. It's important for me to go back and read those. I, I believe everybody should write, uh, have a personal journal that they write for themselves and go back and read months later how you felt on January 1st, 2021. Um, so that's where I write. I write primarily for, for me, for my, uh, for, for my own therapy. When it comes to the public, 
things that I feel that I can share publicly, I will, because if it benefited me, it may benefit someone else. If I enjoyed it, someone else may enjoy it. And so those are the two reasons why I write. I write for therapeutic reasons. I write for a benefit to me. I write for therapeutic. Uh, I write because I enjoy reading uh, what I write, just as I enjoy reading what others write. And nicely stated. Please share another poem. Beachfront scenes of summer. Waves roll, surf ebbs and flows. Pelicans fly in V formation, then one by one they dive. Though they are not pretty creatures, their grace still puts man's metallic supersonic jets to shame. My mind and body left the office long ago. Cell phone purposely lost. Email logged off. Debits, credits, revenues, top line, bottom line, bits and bytes forgotten, and I'm in full internet disconnect. My sandals embrace hot sand. Then I abandon them for warm foam mixed with crystals exfoliating my heels, my toes, my soles. I wade slowly into crests after crest as the afternoon sun heads for the west. A special treat unfolds before my eyes. A large fishing trawler slowly crawls by. Its loud rumble of motors drowns the soft crash of tide as her wake sprays watery contrails beneath her nets hanging aft. She sways while she is tossed as a part of dolphins follow, leaping out and in, splashing pursuit of an easy meal. Yes, Beachfront scenes of summer make me gaze, make me ponder as scattered broken shells crack beneath my feet. Perfect. Do you think that you were meant to be a poet? Yeah, I think here lately, I think I do. Tell me more. Here lately, yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite yeah. question. Favorite statement. Tell yeah. me more. <laughs> That's the professor in me. I've often, Tell me more. I often, I often wonder. You know, sometimes after fifteen rejection letters in a row, you wonder if you should be a poet or not. <laughs> and you have, you know, you, you know those days and yes. stuff. But. Uh, 2013, I actually went on hiatus for about 20 years for writing poets, poems. You know, I was overseas and I stopped writing. And uh, 2013, in the spring of 2013, one night I was watching this television show called Elementary, and they had this serious subject uh, going on. And there was this song at the end of the episode, and it, that was a trigger. I picked up junk mail envelopes and started writing poems, and I hadn't stopped writing since. But for a long time, I wondered. You know, it took, you know, it's like, man, I fell off that bike a long time ago, but it seemed like I can't get on the case stay on the bike. <laughs> I can't, I, I can't, I, I keep falling off. And so I wondered, uh, but I think it was late last year. And uh, when I realized that, yep, I'm, um, I'm a poet. I, I don't mind call. I don't mind calling myself a poet now, because I've, uh, after uh, after seven years, I actually watched. I look at what I wrote in 2013, and then I looked at what I wrote at the end 
of 2020. And I compare it, I'm like, wow, I have come a long way. I write totally different now. I am a poet. Mm. I felt like what do you think Luke, you I felt like Luke, I felt like I'm sorry. No, go ahead, okay. please, please. I interrupted. Uh, no, no, that's okay. Uh, that's okay. I'm sorry. You go ahead. I digress. Okay. <laughs> I was wondering <laughs> what have you learned about yourself from being a poet? Hmm. A great question. Um, being a poet has actually. Um, Giving me a lot more confidence. Actually, mm-hmm. I'm at, at, at my day job. You know, my presentations when I present, being a poet has just made me this great presenter. I mean, people love the way that I communicate when I'm presenting an idea or, pre- or presenting a problem and a solution. And so, if I think I understand the question correctly, poetry yes. is actually has actually benefited me. Writing poetry has benefited me not only in the writing world, but in the uh, in my personal world and stuff. It's it's, it's actually made me uh, a listener. It made me it makes me listen and observe a lot more. Uh, a writer has to observe. A writer has to observe and listen and feel. And so it's helped yes. me in that way. I agree. We have time for one more poem. Okay. This poem comes from my new book that will, I just won the Sinclair Prize of Poetry, uh, which will oh, be announced. Congratulations. Next week. And oh, congratulations. my book will be, thank you, thank you. And, I, my, and they're going to publish my new book titled Poets Should Not Write About Politics. And this is the title poem Poets Should Not Write About Politics. I've been told poets should not write about politics. Poets should write poets should write about daisies and hearts. Poets should write about dandelion petals blown by the wind. Poets should write about bison grazing in a veil. Poets should write about toddlers playing with puppies. Poets should write about kittens chasing balls of string. The daisies wither in early spring. The heart strings fray and rock. The dandelion fields are scorched by wildfire. Extinction, extinction threatens the bison, the kittens, gaunt, emaciated, starved toddlers in homeless streets. Well, yet I've been told, poets should not write, should not write about politics. Poets should write about daisies. Poets should write about bison grazing in a veil. But I cannot ignore the worst. Of this world What inspired you to write a book? Uh, well the book consists Largely of pieces that are um, That are That have been published in other journals and magazines But I think COVID-19 Is when I oh. decided That I had time on my hand To, add, to write new material and to compile the book. Somewhere in the middle of COVID-19, I just said, you need to put this in a book and, 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 and go for it. So I mm. think it's, uh, it's just a result of COVID-19, me saying, you know, let's do this. My very last question to you, 
what's next for you creatively after your book? What's next? Short stories. I want to hear about that before we go. <laughs> I'm trying to understand the difference between short stories and personal essays. I have, I mean, my travels, I have many stories from my travel, many things that I suffered, many things that I saw. A lot of them I put in poems, but I'm thinking about putting some of those in short stories. I want to, I want to um, explore that landscape and see what the possibilities are. And um, I know if, if, if you know, we'll see how that works out. But that's one thing I want wow. to do. You are phenomenal. I want to thank well, you so Grant, much for being my guest. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I think, go ahead. You still there? No, you go ahead. (laughs) No, I want to thank you so much for inviting me. And, um, I mean, gosh, you have some challenging questions, um, and I appreciate them because, actually, your questions, I've actually saved um, a lot of the answers because these these answers to these questions are going to be beneficial to me in in the future. So I appreciate um, that and I appreciate um, your program. You, uh, I appreciate the format of your program. And, well, thank uh, you for that. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. I wish you nothing but the best. Congratulations on the book. Nothing but the best. Thank you, and I wish you all the best as well. And have a great right. 2021. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Well, to our listening audience, we made it through another one. A fantastic guest. I am so thrilled that Jerry was with me tonight. And to all my listeners, take care and let poetry ring. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.